Hello and welcome to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm James and my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, mine are he and him. And I'm Alistair and my pronouns are also he and him. No David tonight, um, Papa is away. He has taken a sojourn into the mountains and we do not know whence he will descend. But uh, in his absence, we've decided we're going to, you know, we're going to make up for his, his lack of being here by giving you something else to, to bring you a little bit lower. Um, so, you know, instead of bitter Scottish cynicism, we decided we're going to go for existential despair in the form of some some glad tidings from Rob, I think. Rob. Yeah. And a 5% reduction in whimsy. Don't yes, <laughs> exactly, and and a market reduction in uh, Star Wars reference, Star Trek references, and also Star Wars references. Come to think of that, star references generally, star references in general. <laughs> Fuck the star system. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Frankly, the start of the solar system was the first mistake. Yes. <laughs> as soon as that gas started to coalesce, I had a bad feeling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's 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 we haven't done this for a while, but I thought we would do another episode of finance shenanigans. Um, so I've only got like nine pages worth of notes, so it's gonna be it's gonna, it's gonna be a quick one. Jesus um, fucking Christ! <laughs> and, just, and by the way, dear listener, this is this is the first of two episodes we're recording this evening. The other one also uh, financial related, except we're, we're reviewing the film Margin Call as so well. Good. So we're getting, so good. We are gonna get. Our brains turned to mush in this first episode, and then re like reconstituted and uh, enjoying Paul Bettany in the second half. Exactly. So it's going to be very fun. Reconstituted yeah, as fine paste. Look forward to that <laughs> cultural committee at a, uh, a later date, and when you hear it, know that this is where the trouble began. <laughs> yeah, and also know that none of it is uh, my fault. So I thought before we get onto the main topic, I thought we would. To discuss uh, two bits from the completely unreal economy first. I, I, I personally, Rob, prefer the unity economy. Um, like, there's lots of assets you can purchase on it. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it works really well for all my development needs by unity. So before we get into, like, something that still barely exists, I wanted to talk about something that has just ceased existing, but I didn't know about it. I just wanted to bid a fond farewell to one of the dumbest NFT collections like I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, sadly, and I'm sure for all others, there's list- a lot of competition for that type. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> uh, no, this specific one is the. Um, sadly, and I'm sure all of our listeners are deeply invested in this. Is uh, CNN has is winding up its Vault NFT collection. Um, so I didn't know this, but CNN was putting out uh, NFTs called Moments, and y- essentially they you could buy just, original NFTs of why? CNN headlines of why? big news. Why, Rob? What why? The fuck, like, I why don't did you know. do this? Why? Why was this? Why was this? Just every time, every time someone says, "Hey, what about these NFTs?" and it's just the stupidest conceivable idea you you could ever think of, an NFT of fucking what's his face's first tweet? Who cares? <laughs> okay, but like, how else is CNN supposed to make money by selling like the headline about some fucking like you know terror attack? To some incel dipshit who thinks it was great. <laughs> imagine, th- imagine thinking that like a Sun headline was so good that you wanted to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a on a digital version that you can't even like put on your wall in like a frame or some shit. Like some like freaking freakish nothing who's trying to do that with an actual newspaper. But oh, even Jesus. worse, if it's just fucking some uh, some know- YouTube influencer like buying the fucking headline of a school shooting. That yeah, they like, will then own forever and charge Alex Jones every time he claims it wasn't real. 
you know, you're, you're saying all this and it's just put a cursed alternate timeline in my head, which is the timeline that the sun didn't finish page three. Like, just Jesus fucking Christ. That's exactly the vibe. Well, I mean, Alastair, it can get dumber, and it did, because CNN was also apparently... No, of course it did. In, ...in the process of partnering with another startup called Infinite Objects that was creating specialized display cases so you could display, like, your apes or your CNN moments oh from the vault. Oh, my fucking God. Like, you could just put that, them like on the wall. Like a fucking a digital picture frame. Is that, yeah. is that what this is? Exactly, but, like... Is, is just a fucking folder filled with images, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but like you well, could. Well done, you've re- you've reinvented the folder format. It, like imagine it, like you could have like let's say a, a screen with pixels, and then you could hang that up on the wall, and then people could see your ape yeah. on it. What this like, is, so- it's those uh, it's those like digital photo frames that you you get from like Argos or wherever, you know, and you just plug a USB yeah, yeah. stick in with all your your photos from your phone. It's one of those, but instead of like accepting a USB stick, it's hard coded to display the the image at the link you own, and then they charge you an extra like three grand for it or something. Exactly. Does it have like a, a little extra like LCD screen in the frame that says you know memes if NFTs go to the moon, and then if they start going down, it flips to memes if NFTs crash because it feels like that kind of vibe. Honestly, I think that extra screen should just rotate constantly, you f- you fool, you idiot fucker moron, you buffoon. But that, that may just be me. I mean, but it is sad. I've got an idea. I've got eight, I've just had an idea. We have we invent a screen that rotates your PDFs for you. Yeah. <laughs> I do have some... Just superimposes, superimposes a graph of like how far your fucking investment's fallen over the top of the <laughs> NFT. <laughs> just points you to the nearest high roof, yeah. When it drops, when it drops below like, when, when it drops below a certain threshold a little like tray pops out of the bottom with a suicide pill in it (laughs) (laughs) did you guys see that fucking zillow gone wild tweet on twitter um which was a guy listing an nft house did you guys yes i did see that that was the uh i i didn't buy a real house i bought a 300k fake house that was that, right? Wait, wait. Was this a house made of NFTs or like a house no, in the metaverse? No, it was just a, a, a metaverse house for like three hundred k. Like I could have bought like a real house, but I bought a metaverse house instead. Oh, that—that's actually not what I'm talking about, Rob. It's even dumber than that. Oh, okay. Um, we're we're playing we're playing top trumps, but with this the stupidest conceivable day that all the the deck is just filled with NFTs. Yeah, <laughs> and ironically, searching for the NFT house I was looking for, I have instead found another NFT house. Like, um, <laughs> why do they keep making these? I don't know. It's very um, yeah. I guess it's just like everyone thinks I'll get in on the scam and do something too. So here's my NFT house for you to purchase. It just looks like a shitty uh, California house. Like there's a, there's this a is like I am I am absolutely like the 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 worst fucking crime of these like fucking crypto dipshits and their metaverse and and everything is that they make me keep fucking remembering like Second Life because this is exactly remember like. <laughs> 10, 15 years ago when there was all those stories about people who bought real estate in Second Life. This is the same thing, except those people yeah. actually made money. Hey, look, well, I mean, Jamie, ho- at least ha- there's a whole, a wholesome use for uh, Second Life, and some people just go on there to get horny. The NFTs have no functional use. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you say this. Yeah, the meta- uh, no, one had, no, one has like a, no one has anything below the waist in the metaverse, specifically <laughs> because they were afraid of ever making any <laughs> money out of it. 
Well, I mean, mm. Alistair, you say this, but like you, you could have been, well, you still can be because you can still buy a, a CNN uh, moments. Um, unfortunately, the $100 NFT of Mandela walking from prison uh, has unfortunately been sold out. Um, <laughs> but for 50 bucks, you still can become the proud owner of an NFT celebrating the launch of CNN Plus, the CNN surf- uh, streaming service, which has also folded in the meantime. So not only can you buy a what, folded uh, NFT, you can buy something that celebrates a streaming service that has also folded, which what, I do what kind shows, of like. What shows were on this streaming service? Was it the news? I, pretty much, it's like uh, I don't know. Wolf Blitzer makes sandwiches, <laughs> or, or or Jake. Some like it was like a an oh, Oprah. All, all of our favorite pundits. <laughs> it was <laughs> no, it was like an Oprah's book club, but with Jake Tapper in it. Oh, I'm I just can't... picturing now bored wolf NFTs. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's like if there's any British news pundit who I would actually want to see in anything. Or anything at all, really, and I'm not. I don't think I can name a single one who I give enough of a shit about to think. Oh, it's got person X in it. Maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not excited about like the Piers Morgan uh, Sunday Kitchen Show or some shit like that. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, though, like even though uh, CNN is no longer making these stupid fucking NFT moments, uh, um, they have said to like the people who have already invested in this, uh, "Don't worry, you'll get invested." S- yeah, no, um, you'll get the rubes s- who've been parted from their like fifty dollars or whatever. Yeah, but don't worry about it because like you can get some of your money back, and by money, I mean they'll throw some other uh, crypto token called Flow into your wallet or a stable coin. So I assume you'll just get your money back. Uh, and for token- imagine, imagine having an even worse returns policy than store credit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had a quick look at Flow uh, at its its price levels. Um, it created from uh, a high of about forty bucks last year to just under two today. So I assume that what you want back is uh, a really unstable coin instead of your shit CNN asset. <laughs> no better time than to buy the dip, quite frankly. <laughs> Um, I hope I hope there's like I think that some of the only like possibly positive people involved in all of these NFTs and shit, if it's possible to do, is the people who are shorting all these fucking stupid coins and NFTs and whatever the fuck. Because like at least at least they're making money out of these things going out of business. I don't even know if you can short NFTs. If you could, that'd be yeah, amazing. That's what I, I was I, thinking. I, I'd get on that uh, in in very much of a hurry. Yeah, but the other thing I wanted to uh, mention there's a, there was a great piece on uh, on CoinDesk uh, called <laughs> "It's It's Lonely in the Metaverse," um, and would it surprise you to <laughs> <laughs> so like. Uh, would it surprise you to learn that like that, some... feeling, that feeling when no girlfriend in the metaverse? <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> so like. Some of the bigger, or at least like the more touted existing like crypto tie-in metaverses that do actually exist right now, um, don't actually appear to have that many users, even though they have got like valuations at over a billion uh, US dollar at the moment. Uh, so, so one of them called Decentraland, uh, which is on the Ethereum chain, had apparently 38 active users uh, in 24 hours last week, which... You know, I I think you uh, you agree is is less than, than it's spectacular. So, it's yeah, I saw this. This is it's fucking great. This is we have less users than the worst trash fucking games that you can find on Steam for like one pound mm. fifty, and we are worth 
multiple billions of dollars. What's really funny about it is it proves a thesis that if you add horny, it will actually be like all right, essentially, because the horny games on Steam all universally have more users than that. I'll guarantee you. Yeah, if and... they call it if they call it like Decontraland or something, then oh. they would have like, hey, look, I don't make the rules. <laughs> they have like hundred thousand times more users. Yeah, like the sad thing is, yeah, I think you're right. It's it's uh yeah, but it looks like it it's I can't believe that it doesn't have like more users uh, because I, I had a little rummage through it. Apparently, there's two main things you can do in Decentraland according to CoinDesk. The first is you masturbate can buy- and cry. <laughs> close you can buy virtual you can buy virtual property and then build shit on it um and also the other thing you can do is you can buy and sell uh like nfts of like skins for your character and then sell those on to other people so like i can't i can't understand why this virtual property empire with like sub um second life graphics isn't isn't like a roaring success i can't i can't work it out (laughs) Imagine having worse graphics in 2022 than Second Life. Well, I've, I've just posted a picture in the in the Discord if you want to have a look. It like it just looks incredibly like bleak and depressing as well, and the draw distance of about three bleak, meters. Bleak is right. <laughs> to be fair, you are there all on your own, so I do understand the you know the the, the prime thing to to do in there. It looks like someone's just literally done that thing before that I was saying and made a Unity engine game essentially and then tagged multiplayer on top of it and called it a day yeah like it's got that kind of semi-shitty cell-shaded look of a lot of like freemium unity assets yeah but the yeah, other i see exactly what you're saying but the other one which is slightly more popular because apparently the thing it is, has um... those those graphics aren't that bad I, I would posit that it's like how um it's like how being like fucking right wing makes you look like a fucking like a, a horrible gremlin yes it's a lot of us the if lack that, of aesthetic and art direction. No, I mean, if that if that exact same screenshot was from a game and you said, oh, yeah, this is an early access and you farm, like, cute little pigs and they, like, run around and build little pig houses and stuff, you'd go, oh, isn't that sweet? But because it's like, oh, yeah, it's some dipshit's fucking, like, capitalist wank fantasy and what you do is you, like, wank over capitalist fantasies in it, you just go, yeah, fuck that noise, that looks terrible. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, if you want shittier graphics, uh, Jamie, may I introduce you to the other thing? Oh, that boy, is, do I. Is, is also worth more than a billion and had 500 users per 24 hours last week. It's called The Sandbox, and it looks basically like a shittier version of Minecraft. Oh. Oh, God. Is that a <laughs> chomp on top of a wall? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's the mouse thing. Did, oh, oh so is this, It's a is, dead mouse is, thing, yeah. Is dead mouse involved in the, with this project at all? I don't know, but I do know that uh, Tony Hawk is involved. He's teaming up with The Sandbox to bring a... Oh, for a fuck's sake, virtu- Tony. Yeah. Oh. You were meant to be the good one. Well, he has his own line of NFTs these days, so fuck that guy. Oh, well, <laughs> in the bin with you. <laughs> I mean, this one is slightly... Me- Why is there a Smurf? Why is there a Smurf in this picture? Yeah, what is going there. on? I like that little bit above the Smurf that says, you don't own an Alpha Pass. <laughs> get it on OpenSea. Yeah, get you fucking beta. You need an Alpha Pass to, to come into my house. Yeah. Well, you, in order to... In now, order you see, to uh... now you see, that looks like dog shit. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, we can really absolutely does. 100% agree. <laughs> I just... I, so, so for the benefit of the of the listener, there, there are... Uh, what one, two, three, four, five, six dead mouse heads 
Seven if you include the, the guy in an, uh, an outfit with a dead mouse head on it. For some inscrutable reason on this. Uh, I don't think that's a guy, Alistair. I think that's a statue. Uh, the I reason mean, being, on the right-hand side, you see a guy sprinting with a name above him, yeah. Oh, yeah. whereas the one on the left doesn't. I think that and the Smurf and the whatever that guy is on the left are statues. That's um, oh, yeah. Han Guybrush Threepwood Solo. Yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, don't worry about it, because like, the sandbox is actually more convoluted than the other one. Because um, in the sandbox, according to Coinbase again, you have to, in order to participate in like buy virtual property, you have to buy sand crypto tokens. Uh, and with your sand crypto tokens, you can buy even more limited availability land tokens, which is property, um, in which you can make like mini games and then charge people crypto to play your mini game within the ugly landscape. Uh, but in order, if you want to own land, first you need to own sand, right? Exactly, just yes. simple logical steps. But in order to build something on your your land, uh, you need even more crypto tokens called assets, which are then again subdivided into even more crypto tokens called gems and catalysts. So this sounds very simple, and you know, who who, who wouldn't want to be part <sighs> I hate of that? This so much, I hate <laughs> oh, every yeah, aspect my, of this. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, dis- I'm violently disassociating. I'm just hearing in my head, Dragonborn. If you wish to construct your home, first you must mine clay, just yeah. like the <laughs> least favorite part of, of you know regular games yeah. turned into the entire point of this horse shit. It is it is violent horseshit, but I will say like it does look it like overall like this whole. Um, at least the NFT thing, like, I think it's, like, I don't know, I'm sure it'll survive in some mutant form because this shit never goes away because, like, people have just, like, pumped too much cash into it, essentially. But, like, it, it you know, it's essentially, like, because the economy is sort of real-ish again, it does look like this mm. shit's on the way out, which, like, it's been replaced with other horrible shit, but at least this seems to be somewhat over. Yeah, the tulips have well and truly wilted. Yes, um, very much. Which is, you know, silver linings. Um, there was also oh, who, a mag- who um was it was it one of Jack's NFTs at Jack's NFTs who that has like lost ninety nine point nine nine percent of his value bought it for like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands worth like twenty dollars now yeah, 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 yeah I think um him and everyone it, else wasn't it Jack yeah. sold the first ever tweet he did as an NFT and the person who bought it lost all the money so Jack's sitting pretty but they're the ones who've lost out. I mean, yeah, I mean, sh- surely Probably whoever's both. holding that NFT is like the loser in the chain for sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all about it's all about having some, sh- like, I, I'd say poor schmuck just like holding the bag, right? It's just some, yeah, it's getting some, having, having some yeah, rich yeah, schmuck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think in the meantime, even like Facebook does not appear to be able to like actually create like a... Um, like there, what's that thing called again? Infinity Worlds. Like that's just going nowhere fast. Uh, there was a big piece in the uh, FT last week that they've put it on what's called any uh, quality lockdown for the rest. Suicide of Suicide Watch. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is pretty much. You're not what wrong. It is. Um, it'll, be so, it'll be so good if like the metaverse tanks Facebook forever. It, it's not as possible that it does. Because they like the 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 division of Facebook that's doing their Infinity Worlds metaverse thing has like racked up twenty seven billion in losses in the last three years. But apparently Zuckerberg mm-hmm. is like it is the future and we will keep plowing like money into it. So for Christ, yeah. Knows. I mean, everybody, if, if everybody, get in the spruce goose. <laughs> 
if nothing else, it, it is fun to see it demonstrated to us that money isn't real, and the only thing that is really real is like power. Because could you imagine any other sort of institution or business or whatever just literally throwing away nine billion dollars a year for literally nothing, not even really ideological gain, just funneling it down a fucking black hole. No, it, is, it is actually. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there, Alistair, and, and say this is ideological. You've got to remember that Zuckerberg models himself after Emperor Augustus. No joke, no hyperbole. He really does. Yeah, That's he does. Why do he that. Has yeah, I, I remember this. Yeah. And he he pictures himself as being the the man of the Renaissance, and he had to go at, like I'll stand for president, and then that quickly got shot down on contact with reality. Right? As people. Well, went, what he well, really needed to do is off. assemble his um, adoptive father's legions and then marched on Rome, and then his, all of his problems would have been resolved. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And so what he's doing instead, and the reason we have this meta stuff is he's making a bid, going well okay, if I control the land on which the future is made, then I can be the new Augustus. And that's what this is. So it is ideological to him. It's just that he is intensely stupid. And it's also like, it's a very funny pivot where essentially Facebook is trying to become, because in order to create like a, a metaverse where people want to be, you have to have to sort of become like a game studio, right? You have to create a digital mm -hmm. world where people want to hang out. Um, let me read you a little bit from the FT article. Um, uh, just before... Just before you do that, I just want to say, like, the idea of uh, Mark Zuckerberg, of all people, creating a video game that people enjoy is just completely anathema to him because he's completely anhedonic. Yes. <laughs> uh, the problem with Meta uh, and its development is the fragmented nature of the different software product teams and initiatives within Meta. Frequent changes of direction and a lack of coherent vision for a social network that incorporates <laughs> virtual and augmented reality. Essentially, it's just like they're just trying to do a Ubisoft, but, like, shittier and without pants on they're trying the to same amount of sexual assault though <laughs> the well, problem, uh... they're, they're, they're trying to appease the whims of the boy king yes like that that's what's going on now According to a meta-memo shared by at least one person on their Facebook profile, uh, external creators complained at a roundtable last month that Horizon Worlds was unstable and unreliable and staff did not give them updates when they reported bugs or ahead of launches. So they, they're not even supporting like their external creators. So, I, I mean, yeah. I quite frankly can't wait for this thing to fucking fall off the face of the earth and take the whole metaverse with it because like I just, mm -hmm. I, I can't fucking handle it as actually being a thing like it's just too depressing and i i still don't understand who wants to hang out in these things right like i genuinely who well, is this for it's modern tech though isn't it it's like the entire like fucking premise behind modern tech is that they should solve problems nobody has in ways that nobody likes <laughs> so and you know, use your boss to force you to use it essentially well, that's, I mean, that's the thing that's going on. Like, the people who make it don't, like, don't use it enough, so we, we need to have at least one team meeting a week within the metaverse so that we can, like, get used to it. And it's like, if you don't even know what it's for, you shouldn't be fucking making it. But it's just that thing where it's, like, all, this, all the cool, like, sci-fi cyberpunk books from the 80s had, like, a virtual computer world that you jack into and fly around in. And people will not stop trying to fucking invent that. And it's like, mm. the the thing is, though, it's a cool bit of future tech in the 80s. You look at it and you go, wow, that would be like so cool if we could do that. And then nowadays, if you're still trying to actually recreate that in the exact same, like it's a 3D thing and you fly around style, you're a fucking idiot because like it turns out the actual practical version of that is the World Wide Web. 
<laughs> and I hate to have yeah. to I hate to have to break that to everyone who got into tech just so they could like fucking create the fucking create cyberspace for like fucking people to fly around and hack corpse in or whatever but it's the web yeah and and to kind of add to it i maintain that a lot of this is from people who read snow crash unironically and didn't get the satire and they're like yes i will you know what this is this is zuckerberg wants to be hero protagonist and stroll into his metaverse with a katana you know that, that that's what this is and no amount of reality is going to yeah, dissuade but, him so he wants to redo like um who was the guy again? The guy who created Ultima Online, who was like the king of the realm or whatever it was. Uh, was it oh, was Richard Garriott. Richard Garriott. Richard Richard Garriott yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Who like what, who crowned himself king of his own online empire? But like you could do that because like Ultima Online was shit, but like it was the best we had at the time, and you know. Yeah, but it, someone killed him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> in the game we should stress like, just for clarification you should, you should, you should absolutely to... absolutely fucking grief for the creators of any video games you're playing yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely I, I still love that story that richard garriott turns up in ultima online to do like a, a presentation to his fawning crowds and the devs forget to sit the immortal set the immortal flag on his character and so someone just walks up and chips him and that's like apparently that ended the whole event because they couldn't get him back quick enough etc <laughs> i love that story i mean if you could do that in the metaverse i would almost stop like oh you're kidding the opportunity to kill actually... mark zuckerberg in the in vr and then he dies in real life what what a victory that'd be the the ability to dunk on zuckerberg in his own metaverse it would actually get me paradoxically to sign up for the metaverse i mean so, that's uh, the thing though it's not even gonna have all of the like fun fucking like griefing events that you heard about no, back not. in the second life days no, because not, you're right you have to you have to buy like six different kinds of crypto token to be allowed to write like six lines of code and put it into the fucking universe so no one's gonna go to the trouble of like making a thing that griefs because it would cost them too much money. Mm. Apparently, like, they did, you're not going to get any of the, the stuff where, like, where some guy is hosting a fucking like town hall and loads of like flying dicks invade, or, or my no. personal favorite, someone made a bouncy ball and coded it so that every time it crossed a, like a server boundary from one region to another, it split in two. Oh yeah, I remember it, that story. <laughs> Yeah, and it just fucking it just overwhelmed all the servers, <laughs> filled the fucking... entire fucking the entirety of Second Life with with bouncy balls, and just crashed everything. And it's like you, you're not going to be able to do that because of the, like you know a the the like it'll cost you too much money, but also they probably haven't implemented bouncy physics. Yeah, and even if they did, like you could, they would like. I imagine these people actually do spend like two thirds of their development time trying to like create the you know think of all the ways that people would try to have fun with metaverse shit and then like blocking that so like no flying dildos no infinity spawning bouncy balls no nothing like that it's all because it has to be like kid friendly and grandma friendly and you know crazy racist friendly so like you all you can do is just float around in in, in your non-existent underwear and like i don't know buy shit i like, guarantee I, I, I guarantee you they are not thinking of how people will like grief like actual good developers that are making useful products and know what they're doing rarely think of like all the ways people will try to grief them a bunch of dipshits mm -hmm. who like are making something they don't care about are absolutely not putting that level of thought in at all mm. i know i i think that might be like the one thing they do care about because it's you know they have to maintain the image sorry, of, but Rob, of facebook as the friendly you know whatever thing 
no. Rob, but you you are you fundamentally misunderstand the attitude of uh, someone who plays video games to annoy other people. Like Jamie, over to you. <laughs> yeah, yes. no, I mean, like they, they haven't, they, they can't even make Facebook safe for like children and old people to use. Yeah, it, it's a fucking, it's a, a rasping pit of sin and vice that <laughs> radicalizes the kindest grandmas until they join Stormfront and do a suicide bombing for the for the supremacy of the white race. They're absolutely not putting even a, like a tenth of that much effort into stopping that from happening in the metaverse. It, well, it, we, if we anything, have... if anything, the uh, the controversy and like publicity that that would generate would be a huge boon for the project. <laughs> and like we have to respect our subject matter experts on this podcast. Yeah, that's true. Is, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we are on an episode tonight about financial shenanigans, Rob. Um, you you must respect the griefing shenanigans as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking. Oh, shall we transition into some weirdly real? Uh, like essentially, it's quite a convoluted story, but essentially, it's how. Well, we're um. Yeah. Well, we're still on the news. Can we just talk about what a fucking cunt Jamie Oliver is? Yeah, sure, cunt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, like, I sincerely hope he becomes a better person. <laughs> <laughs> I've hated that. I've hated that cunt since before I knew he existed. Like my entire <laughs> life, I had this like just burning fucking fury in the heart of me, and I didn't know what it was for until someone showed me him. What was today's thing again? He was mad again about the government he dropping was, the he sugar was mad because No, he was, he was mad because like... Um, School meals? It's, it's the, the woke say you're not allowed to beat your children. And that was actually the word he used, what? beat, as well. You're not allowed to beat your children. And it would look especially bad if like him, a, a famous TV chef, beat his children. So instead, he fed his 12-year-old daughter like fucking the world's third hottest pepper or some shit. To teach her a lesson for oh yeah, but that was from like a decade ago. That's from like 2010. Well, I don't know. I only saw it today. If I, if I haven't seen it, it's news to me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's why they call it news because it's always yeah. new to someone. No, I mean he's in the news today because of the he's he's doing another run at free school meals and I think the sugar tax as well. I want to say yeah, it's it's free school meals. Right. Ah, well, as the Bhagavad Gita teaches us, every single person, you know, every good person has a point of evil and every bad person has a point of good. And his one point of good is recognizing that the sugar tax is kind of horseshit. No, he wants the sugar tax back. Yeah. Oh, he wants it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a he's a pro. Yeah, the government, the government, never, never mind. The government are talking villain. about getting rid of it because, like, you know, regulation is woke. And John Cleese will be mad at them on fucking like the the GB News doddery racist hour or whatever the fuck <laughs> sure. they're presenting over there. And so Jamie Oliver is furious that the the mere suggestion that they might not punish the poor for eating what they want to eat. So yeah, best get that fucking make that tax even more regressive if possible, just to appease that fat tongued cunt. That's a new one, fat tongued. Gonna file that one away. Yeah. Anyway, uh, have, is there anything? Is there anybody else you wanna you wanna like take a, take a swipe at an air personal beef, Jamie, or shall we move on to the main topic? No, I think I think just fucking you know what I mean. I think we're good with just remembering Jamie Oliver's like the worst fucking prick on this island. Yep. Yeah, and also we did a whole episode about it. Uh, I can't remember the number, um, but maybe we'll splice that in. We watched his food revolution thing. Six 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 probably. <laughs> 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 so with all that done let's uh, let's see if we can't dive into the into the main topic for today uh, and the eight and a half pages of notes i have left um is uh to talk about um essentially how 
almost by sheer force of accident, um, Liz Truss and definitely Quasi Quartang almost fucked a significant chunk of the UK pension markets or are still in the process of doing that because it's like these still. are ongoing shenanigans, uh, as at least as we're recording. Um, so we didn't really talk about the trust budget two weeks ago because I said it was too early. Um, and that turned out to be mainly right about that. It's essentially it was just like a hilarious failure. The main point was we're going to borrow more money for unfunded tax cuts to very rich people, stop the corporation tax rise, etc. Um, and all that basically came those that set of announcements came on top of like a, a couple months long run in uh, the, the financial markets that have been more and more volatile because of inflation, the war in Ukraine, energy prices, like essentially everything and everyone was already very nervous about the general state of, of economies and numbers foxy in general. Um, and the whole thing and and then several things happened, the pound created and the price of UK gilts shot through the roof don't worry we'll explain more as we go along and it ended up last week already with the bank of england announcing that they were doing an emergency purchase of uk gilts over the weekend to paper over some material cracks that were starting to show up in the bedrock of the uk economy aka uh, some of its pension funds so that's kind of what i wanted to talk about this week mm. which is what happened on friday over the weekend and again Monday and today while recording, why did the Bank of England need to sort of put more money in, even though they were announcing they were going to stop doing that? Um, and I'm going to try not to do predictions because predictions are always stupid. Uh, and also, this is not financial advice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, having said that, Rob, did you see that someone decided their mortgage strategy based on listening to us and Trash Future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Godspeed to you, but once God again... God have mercy, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah, this is not financial advice, you idiot. Yeah, um, you idiot fucking so, moron. You know, yeah. Like, uh, you know, good luck. Uh, I mean, I think that was... A cool person. On, on Twitter, I'm fairly sure of that. And, yeah, uh, it, it, I wasn't going to name them, but yeah. all right, sure. Otherwise, a, a good poster, and, you know, Godspeed to you, but please don't... Please don't follow along with us every time because we really no. don't want to be liable for. You However, know, your... if the money that you do save on your on your mortgage, uh, show shows love to your favorite podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Uh, by all means, all, all we're saying is let us wet our beak. Um, is <laughs> <laughs> give, give us control of your house. Hand over the all of your assets to the, tra uh, the podcast is practice podcast <laughs> set set, uh, set a proportion of your house aside equal to the amount that you would have been paying extra and give us a room in your house yeah give jamie a room in your house let jamie <laughs> yeah. live with you <laughs> so you remember how like the 2008 crash forced like at least some of us like me to learn about uh, like collateralized debt obligations derivatives mortgage bundling all that kind of fun stuff so Today, we're going to be learning some more terminology and some more uh, financial shenanigans. And the only way I can sort of tell this story, because it's kind of convoluted, is it's sort of an inception type story, because we have to go like several levels into the financial shenanigans dream to understand what almost question mark went wrong, and then sort of go back out several layers of the dream to see what then happened in real life. Um, so that's kind of the frame I've decided to go with, because... It's just a lot of explaining, essentially. So basically, in level one, 
This is a very brief primer on UK pension funds overall. The main, the main and the most important thing to remember is UK pension funds are fucking huge in terms of their asset footprint. They have over six trillion pounds worth of total assets, which is essentially more than three times UK GDP, which is about 2.1, 2.2 trillion as well. Uh, so it's, it's and can I can I interject here really briefly, Rob? Sure. Just to kind of clarify something for our listener, the reason our pension funds are so huge is because it basically is privatizing our role of the state. Yes. Like realistically, taking care of our old people, much like taking care of our young people, should be something that we do collectively as a state. But since we don't, we privatize it, and thus it gets jacked up even higher, and that's why there are trillions in pensions is because it's stuff that realistically should be handled through taxation and planning based on taxation. Um, modern monetary theorists don't come at me, but we don't do that. So instead no. it goes for private sector and they add on like a, a crippling eye-watering percentage on top. And here we are today. Exactly. I'm, on, like, Rob. I'm just going to uh, interject a second uh, because like once again, reality has fucked us. We were, we were literally just talking 10 minutes ago about how you don't have legs in the metaverse. And someone's just sent me a fucking tweet. Meta advances full body avatars with legs. Motherfucker. <laughs> Zuckerberg just fucking listening to our calls again. <laughs> once again, once again, we record a podcast that's old news as soon as we record it. As soon as, yeah. as, soon as it comes out of our fucking mouth, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, so as this I just, is level two of the metaverse, Ben. Yeah, yeah but, The Sims. Wait, who's that in the Discord call? <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, James is right. Like, the the... Pensions are incredibly important because obviously old age and people stop working and we have basically privatized all of it. I mean, like there is still the state pension so far as I know, but basically good luck existing uh, on that amount of money. Um, that said, like pension funds are still among like the last harshly regulated industries left in the entire world because essentially every... Even this government, well, maybe not this one, but like every government before this one knew that you can't fuck with the old and or pensions uh, because basically mm. all people vote and they vote Tory in, ma in massive cases. So uh, that doesn't mean they haven't tried to get pension funds into like more risky assets and stuff, which is part of the problem we have now. But like pension funds are still quite harshly regulated um, and pension funds... As a very, at a very basic level, pension funds need to hold absolutely huge amounts of stocks and bonds in order to pay out every month on time to their clients, their pensioners, uh, and to make a, a profit for themselves. Uh, and moreover, mm. the stuff that they they need to hold to pay out needs to be absolutely safe as shit because obviously you can't have pension funds falling over because they've invested all their money in metaverse horseshit. Like there's a reason well, pension funds are not in that. It sounds very much to me like these uh, these like scared pensioners should embrace the market more freely. <laughs> because what's what's what life is worth living without like fucking a little risk? And then when you lose your pension, what life is worth living without the like the value of producing something for society? Get a fucking job. <laughs> Essentially, um, and if you're thinking about like a very risk-free, very safe asset, the main thing you're talking about is uh, state bonds. A house, is, a well, house that you bought for six shillings in 1947. <laughs> Essentially, pension funds are are up to the up to the eyeballs as they are technically sort of supposed to be if we have a privatized pension sector in UK state debt guilt. Uh, they, they have huge and huge and huge chunks of it because essentially 
Uh-oh. It is, guilds are essentially a promise that the UK state will be around in 10, 20, 30 years to pay the interest <laughs> and to pay off, you know, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I spy they with are... my little eyes, something that ends in tears. <laughs> yeah. It's very much like they are the safest asset. What's that? Is that an asterisk that's growing steadily larger? Yeah. Uh, oh, dear. I mean, part of the story, and we'll get to it later, is essentially is, by God, is that Kwati Kwasang's music I hear there. But, um, uh, and, I, I mean, basic, back to the primer, basically there are two types of pensions in the UK. One that's much more current, that's called a defined contribution pension, uh, is where you mm-hmm. put money into a fund, the fund invests it, quote unquote, wisely. And by the time you retire, you have like a giant pot of money, which you can either withdraw as a big lump sum in bits by month, etc. But like, that's essentially, you only get as much out of it as you put into it and as much as the fund itself makes. That's not the bit we're talking about. The bit we're talking about is the, uh, and that's in trouble, is the defined benefit pensions. These are also known as workplace pensions, or um, they use, they're they still sometimes called like gold-plated pensions. Uh, they pay out every month like your salary or a percentage of your salary uh, determined mm. by your workplace. It's like an average or like it's a final year. Like if you earned 5,000 pounds in your last per month in, yeah, uh, in your last job, it will pay out like 4,000 a month for the rest of your life. And these are the ones that, that got into some severe bother, essentially. Um, this type of pension is essentially doesn't exist anymore for young people. Like, we don't get to have it because this is like a good pension. Uh, but all people definitely do have them, including huge brick tons of boomers who have this pension above what they get from the triple locked state one. And the problem, as we've seen in the last couple of days in the markets, comes from how these defined benefit pensions are structured. Uh, They're a huge chunk. Again, they're like, in total, the value of what they have inside them is uh, about 1.5 trillion in uh, total assets. So it's about two thirds of UK's GDP last year. So they are of a size that is so big that if they were to hypothetically collapse, it's almost too big for the state to manage. Uh, like you couldn't have the Bank of England clean it up because the amounts are, are so huge. Um, so that's like that's a very fundamental. They give it a uh, good go, though, wouldn't they? Feels like you know. I mean, they did, but a huge check for try and cut a check for one point five trillion to keep the old satisfied. It's maybe, very much in in it's, line it's, with what the. Uh, the it's possible, but like it's hard to. I don't want to speculate too much on what would happen in that case, but like it would be very bad in in all caps essentially. But if you are a pension, like this type of pension, the type of payout you're doing is kind of a problem. Like you can imagine it, right? Because with the first type, all right, you just get like a big lump sum of money when you retire, and that's it. With these ones, you have to pay out every let's say every month to a huge group of pensioners and they expect a fixed amount every first of the month uh, but you have to pay them out based on market conditions which may or may not be stable essentially like markets can go up and down every month so do you have enough like assets and reserves to pay out every month on the first without fail ever essentially Um, So one of the most important things that these defined benefit pension funds have, they need to smooth out the ups and downs of the market to make these payments on time without fail ever. Like that's that's critical to the survival of pensions and to not upsetting the old, basically speaking. Um, And how that is done uh, involves 
under current circumstances, quite a lot of uh, financial engineering, some of which has caused the crisis in the last couple of days, uh, mainly a pension investment strategy. So like the way the pension funds themselves invest. And that strategy is called liability driven investment. Uh, that's the big term. Mm. That's sort of the, the, the engine at the heart of the current calamity. Uh, about what much more in a bit uh, because I want to I want to try do my best to explain how that worked uh, and also why it went kerplunk and then why that necessitated necessitated the Bank of England to step in and put a whole bunch of money in the market that it really didn't want to do basically that's roughly the structure of, of this. So this is like one layer down and. Pension funds over the last decade or so have been in a bit of a bother because um, if you remember in the last decade since we've had the financial crisis, certainly since Rona, uh, we've had quantitative easing and zero interest rates. Now, zero interest rates are a huge problem for pension funds because they rely on the payouts from the guilds they own, like the interest rate you get on state obligations. They rely on that income to pay out to pensioners. But if there's zero interest, you're not getting... The, the monthly payout that you need to pay out your pensioners. So that's like a, mm -hmm. that's a massive problem. Um, Should we? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down a little bit, Rob, for the benefit of our audience, because I know that it's people who listen who are not as financially literate as you or I. Um, to explain what the interest rates work, how they work in the base kind of scenario. Um, essentially, you give the UK government, let's say, a hundred grand. And it gives you a guilt in return that has a fixed time at which it will come to fruition. So in like six months, a year, two and a half years, five years, ten years, all the way up, essentially. And the idea is you don't get like an ongoing payment. Instead, when the bond comes due, the guilt comes due, you're given that plus a percentage, right? Yeah. So say that the yield returns are 5% and you invest 100 grand, then you'll get 105 grand back at the time it comes mature. It comes to the end of its, its lifetime. Um, and so when they talk about lowering interest rates, what they're basically saying is we will put the interest on these bonds to zero. So actually, we won't give you any extra money back uh, in return. And you might say, well, why take this? Um, surely inflation, which is in normal years, about 2 2.5%, will just eat away. And the answer is, if you're really unsure where your money will be safe, at least this guarantees you only take a 2.5% hit, right? And so off the back of Corona, they set the interest rates very low because people were looking for safe places to park their money. And also because a lot of our financial shenanigans are built off the back of this number, particularly to do with banking. And it's to do with the way that banks essentially backstop their money. Banks have to have UK gilts and bonds registered with the Bank of England, essentially, um, to guarantee that they're solvent. And, you know, by setting the interest rates on that to zero... Um, it essentially did a lot of financial shenanigans that propped the banks up a bit. Does that about cover it, Rob? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to get more like detail on this, uh, we did a double header on uh, central banking, which explains quite a bit of this in much more detail. Yes. It's episode 125 and then 126 is behind the Patreon paywall. So, you know, become a Patreon sub anyway. Um, so in essence, 
the main problem again that pension funds uh, have is they need to match your the assets they have, i.e., the big piles of stocks and bonds, including tons and tons of these gilts, with their liabilities, all the pensions, all the defined benefits payments that have to pay out on the dot every month, all the time. And in a world, as James was just explaining, where there is zero interest rates, you can't just pay out your customers on the small margin, however small it is, uh, of the big piles of guilt you keep around. You need to go into slightly riskier assets to make the money you need Mm. to pay out everybody all the time. Uh, So you just need to do some some engineering. Um, And that's like... That's not necessarily bad as long as we're in this capitalist framework. Like you, you can do that, and and I have to say that like this, the the this strategy that a lot of them employed, the liability driven in, uh, investment strategy, worked for like it worked pretty well for like a, a decade almost. Like it it did its job in terms of keeping the system alive and afloat and the pension payments going out. So how does a pension fund do its job in this world? And what is a liability-driven investment? So the basis of, of an LDI, liability-driven investment, is to try and come, overcome two things. Again, it's the mismatch between market ups and downs and the absolute need to pay out pensioners every month on the month. And the last mm. decade problem of how do you keep paying those pensions when the big chunk of the assets you hold, those gilts, don't pay out anymore and aren't so readily available because the central bank is buying a lot of them. Again, please listen to the central banking episode because that explains that last bit. For now, just believe me that that's what they're uh, doing. So what you need in essence is uh, a, a form of insurance. Like you need to pay out. The regulator wants to know that you have enough money for your pensioners, but you've been facing a very long run trend of very low yields on on that massive pile of of gilts you hold like you're not getting the money that you were expecting when you bought a chunk of that and ldi liability driven investment is designed to do exactly that you take some of your money you keep buying state assets the gilts and you take another chunk and you put it into like slightly more risky assets where you hope and or assume there will be some growth so corporate credit equities property etc like so you have that's like the two points of the seesaw right you have the gilts you have the state stuff and you have slightly more uh, risky assets um and those are sort of the key element in that is to balance those two so you get just enough uh, money every month to be able to pay out all the time and be as safe as you you possibly can so is i want to i want to drop a massive pin here and just say when we're talking about them balancing with corporate debt towards the end of this episode i want to come back here because i think there's something going on Carry yeah on, yeah um so i mean there's 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 shit tons going on however because you're you're, you're a pension fund you want to be super safe so you don't want to just like hold a big pile of gilts and hold some like property mortgages and, and other stuff that's still as safe as quote unquote possible you want to like make sure that it is like that that you're insured that your risk is insured on either side of that this is what is called hedging it's very common in financial markets it's literally you know the phrase hedging your bets it's literally that they are hedging their bets by saying well if the prop if the value of the properties that I hold goes down. I have another sort of contract that catches the other side of that. And that sort of brings the seesaw in balance all the time. Uh, you could do this hedging like this, this creating balance and sort of 
moving risk away from you through a near infinite number of shenanigans that I can't get into because they are nearly infinite. Mainly they involve derivatives with our derivatives, which are a certain type of contract. Again, I can't really explain it too much because we'll be here for five hours. Uh, but you can take essentially, they allow you to take the opposite movement, both positive or negative to anything you want or don't want to happen. So like if you're worried that the value of your central London property goes up too much, you can get you can get an investment bank to make you a derivative that takes the other side of that trade and then sort of balance it out. Does that make sense? Yeah, like there's a really easy way to cut through this, which is to say it's financial betting. You basically go to the casino, which is in you know reality, it's a financial investment firm of some kind, usually someone like Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan Chase. Yes, yes. And you basically say, hey, listen, I would like you to make me a market, aka I would like to place a bet and I'd like you to be the casino um, on this going this way. Uh, what do you calculate the odds as? And then they'll, they'll sit there and they'll go, right, we think the odds are this, therefore for it to be worth our time, this has to be the payout and this has to be how much you have to pay us to maintain this bet. So, uh, you know, this all, this all, like, it sounds a bit abstract, but really a lot of this is obfuscating a fact. It's just financial betting. Yeah. It's really what it is. To use to, to, to use your, your casino metaphor, because it's really good, actually, like, f for one more step, like, what they're doing is, like, they have 5,000 chips on black, which is the guilds, and then they have 5,001 mm -hmm. chips on the slightly more riskier pile, the everything else pile. And so there's a slight imbalance, and in order to create, like, correct that balance, they hedge it again with these synthetic contracts with like Goldman Sachs, the stuff that, that James was just talking about. So you're constantly balancing the two to make sure that everything is in order so you can keep paying out and make a sort of marginal amount of, of profits all along uh, the way. So it's essentially... It's, it's yeah, it's the thing where you like you use the roulette, the roulette table to come out like slightly laundered, yes. whereby you put some on black, some on red, and some on the mid, and then you're good essentially. Yeah, that's kind of it. That's what they're doing, just in a very abstract way. Yeah, they they they're doing that, and essentially they're placing so many chips on so many different squares that no matter the outcome, theoretically speaking, they should always make a small amount of money. Like they'll lose some, but they'll make some on the other side. You know, if you lose all your chips on black, but it comes up red, then you'll still make your 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 money. You see what I mean? Like you're you're very carefully trying to keep all these things in balance to to not go down, and that's the very essence. Not not just the hedging in general, but that's the the core of what they were trying to do with this liability liability driven investment. This this LDI system. Uh, so that there means is, there is one last note, which is if you're clever. You've probably spotted, hang on, wait a minute, why would the casino let this go on then? Because surely if you're always just coming slightly ahead, the casino is losing money. And the answer is, for every one of these markets the casino makes, they find some sucker somewhere to take the opposite side. So they essentially hedge as well. And so this system only works as long as there's people who are done with money willing to essentially take the other side of yeah. the derivative It contracts. doesn't even necessarily need to be dumb money. It can also be very smart money, but you do need to find people on the other side. And if you're wondering, well, then how does BlackRock or Goldman Sachs or UBS or whoever make their money? Well, they just, they, they, they take fees off the top. You know, they, they mm -hmm. just, they make their money up front. And what happens to your actual bet in a lot of cases isn't very relevant to them because all they're doing is like raking a fee off the top and matching you with the person on the other side of the roulette, of, on the other side of the roulette table. It doesn't really matter to yeah, them. They, they, 
whenever you go and convert your money into chips in their casino, they take a percentage. Yes. And so that's them coming and going. They don't care what plays out on the table. Um, if you will, the tables are built around having suckers in to play on them. And they might not even, like, to be crystal clear, it might not even be that they balance on the same derivatives. It might just be that they, they sell you one contract that says, oh, I expect the, ha- the price of houses to go up. And then they sell someone else a contract, which is, I expect the houses to go down. And they match these themselves. So you don't even necessarily know about the sucker on the other end who's making you whole. Uh, that This is how finance works. And if it sounds shady as hell, it's because it is. Yeah. And then there's one more trick they sort of did on top of this is they didn't just put like all the chips they put on the table the pension funds did wasn't necessarily all their own money they also went to like other banks and said can can we borrow some money and then place the borrowed money on the on the roulette table because again (laughs) normally speaking that's not too bad because if if these strategies keep working out you can always pay the more borrowed money back because like the margins you're trying to correct with are very small even though the amounts you're betting are fucking huge. So it doesn't hugely matter. And that's essentially, that's that's known as leverage. You borrow you borrow a certain amount of money, um, you insert some of your own money. And then the idea is because you can borrow, if you borrow some of the money, but all the profit you make, you keep, and then you just pay the borrow money back. And then you can just keep doing that over and over and over again. Again. Yeah. And, and to kind of insert this in, it's like, imagine you go to a loan shark. And every week you borrow a grand from a loan shark and you return like a grand and 100 to the loan shark, like regularly, right? One week you turn up and you're like, listen, I've only got a grand like and 80 quid here. The loan shark's not going to break your legs over it because he's like, I know you're good for it. It's fine. It's it's, it's, it's a minor variation. Just make it up next time, right? Because he's not going to throw out a good thing just because you're a little short. Yeah, he's not Jamie Oliver disciplining his children. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is... What if it blows up really badly and you have to, you're not just 20 quid short, you're a substantial amount short to your loan shark? Uh, hmm, wonder how badly that could go. Carry on, Rob. Yeah, and essentially I have to add one more thing to this metaphor and then I promise like it, uh, th- this is the end of the, the, the complexity. This is a very unwieldy metaphor. <laughs> it is, it becoming, the metaphor is becoming quite unwieldy, but I hope I can put like one more Jenga block on it before the whole thing fucking teeters over. Uh, <laughs> one so, more Jenga block on the metaphor so that the metaphor can still make sense. <laughs> Are we going to get in a car next and then uh, we can use that I mean, as yeah, I mean, look, if decks of cards collapse, it's it's terrible. We, we all know this from, uh, from the last premium. Um <laughs> <laughs> is uh so in the loan shark metaphor which which does which, which yeah which is quite correct there's one more thing like the loan shark will also say to you look i'm happy to give you some extra money to loan you some extra money this that's all fine by me but i want to make sure that if things go tits up that uh, like you you got me like that that you will pay me back so like you don't have to park the full amount with me but you do have to like for every thousand pounds you borrow from me i want you to give me 200 as a kind of insurance so that like if you suffer some small losses i won't immediately have to like come to you i can just take that out of the 200 quid that you've parked with me like in in an envelope essentially so to summarize um the the financial houses of jp morgan um chase and goldman sachs and all the rest of them they are essentially the people who run the casinos which they make their money by charging you for converting your cash into chips they don't really care how the bets go on the casino floors because there's always some sucker on the other side who's losing who they have brought into the casino to play and then when you go to borrow money 
the loan sharks that you borrow it from are these other financial institutions and they will sometimes like you know they're happy for you to to have a running account with them but if you're borrowing a lot of money they'll sometimes ask you to like leave your car with them as collateral so they can always yeah. sell that this is this if things is get a bit hairy. this is literally known as collateral that is that is the the term for it and the thing that like these these the the, the loan sharks or the financial companies can can do is if your bets on the roulette table start going sideways they can do what is called a margin call um and that is when uh, they say look we're getting a bit worried that like you, all that pension money you have out on the roulette table is not going the right way so a margin call is them saying look you have 200 quid in the envelope with us now we would like you to park an extra 200 in there because we're getting a bit worried that like you're not actually good for the money if things go totally fucking sideways yeah, they're picking up the phone and going, listen, you told me what horses you were going to bet on, and half of those races have come up bust. So I'm getting a bit nervous, and before I'll loan you any more, I yeah. want you to, and if, like, if you in wanna, addition to your... Yeah, if you yeah, want to keep... Give me your mortgage, essentially. If you want to if you want to keep this bet going, this, like, this whole insurance system that you've built around your own roulette, system, your roulette table, if you want to keep this whole system going, which you absolutely must, because otherwise you're fully exposed to the swings of the market, we need some more money off you, just to keep mm. all the bets and the side bets on the table so as not to disturb the system. But it's... So that's essentially... This is about as deep into the thing as we're gonna go so i hope that it's sort of clear for everybody uh just in case it's not we'll do like a sort of midway point recap uk pension funds are huge um about a third of them is dedicated to these de defined benefits like final salary pensions it's about a one and a half trillion pound market these pension funds have to maintain a very difficult balanced market position where they need to pay out every time on time but they have to deal with the vagaries of the bonds and stock markets and they need to hold huge amounts of safe assets like uk gilts uh, uk state debt to make sure that they can not just pay out but the stuff they're using to pay out overnight isn't going to vanish so like everybody's assuming the UK state will still be around in 10, 20 years. And that's why guilds are considered to be incredibly safe. Um, however, there's been a, a long decade where you got no money back on these guilds that you're holding because of central bank shenanigans. So they needed to venture outside of the safest of safe markets in order to get returns they need to pay out the pensioners. Um, in order to still be as safe as possible while venturing out on the roulette table, they employ an investment strategy known as Liability Driven Investment or LDI. It's a series of very complicated financial shenanigans where essentially you move into slightly riskier assets that offer you more money back than the zero you are currently getting from the guilds. But in order to make those bets that you're making slightly safer, you hedge that risk by taking the opposite side of the same trade with synthetic trades known as derivatives. This is a permanent balancing act. You're balancing not just the 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 guilds with the slightly riskier assets but you're balanced within that slightly riskier asset class you're also balancing those with opposite trades it's essentially it's a permanent permanently readjusting uh balancing act and these derivatives uh the the loan sharks that we were just talking about they demand that you put up a certain amount of collateral uh, of, of of a side pocket like an envelope full of money to prove that you're good should things go tits up and the people um and the person 
holding that envelope can also call you and say you need to put more money in the envelope because we're getting a bit worried about the bets that you have placed with us however not all pension funds not all the time have like kept a hundred percent of the pennies uh in the envelope to make good on the promises they've made so instead of like you have borrowed a thousand from the loan shark there's a thousand in the envelope they have there's like 800 in there or 600 or there's a, there's a margin in there uh where things can go wrong this is known as leverage uh basically mm-hmm you give a certain amount of collateral to guarantee the insurance policies to keep the seesaw balanced that's also linked to the yields of guilt but only to a certain level so now we're going to start coming out of the inception and start walking back to reality and we're going to see what happens when quasi quateng stands up in parliament and is a big old fucking idiot so this is like reverse the dream honk uh, if if you so will, we've, we've kicked we've kicked the chairs out, and we're all falling into water at the moment. Exactly, exactly. But we don't immediately fall out of all the dreams. We fall sequentially, sort of back into reality, and then sort of return to unreal. I don't know. It's just, this metaphor kind of sucks, but we're we're too late into the episode to change it now, so we're going to have to live with it. <laughs> um, essentially, what happens? Quasi Quatank stands up on I think it was the twenty third of uh, September and says, "Here's." not a budget because that has to like come with graphs and and prognostications attached here's a budget event where we are gonna do like 45 billion in unfunded tax cuts mainly going to very rich people uh I that bit's want, now I just so say, fiscal event has the same fiscal sort of event. vibe to it as cardiac event yes yes it does and to be crystal clear just to really drive home how stupid and venal and corrupt all of this is um the reason is not a budget is if it was a budget, the civil service, essentially, would get a crack at saying, what do we reckon the effects of this budget will be? Yes. They would explain the costings of it. And Krasikotain is, uh, don't look behind the curtain, don't think about it, mate. Um, It's not a budget, so we're just going to call it a fiscal event instead so that the civil service can't get their hands on it and tell everyone, so they can't warn everyone how terrible this is going to be, essentially, right? Yes. Um, we are not making this up. That's the entire reason they called it a fiscal event. To yes, get away exactly. from, from the civil service basically going, oh shit, the sky's going to fall if you do this. Having having to like provide graphs and projections forward, however you, wrong those usually are. But like normally when states do budgets, when like advanced economies do budget, there's like they put a bunch of stuff in the back saying, we think that this is about the effect that what we're doing is going to have on the financial budget of this country in the next. 12 months, 24 months, 5 years, 10 years, etc, etc. Those predictions are usually wrong, but it's quite important that you have them anyway. Um, Not because they're wrong, but because, like, it makes people, like, who financial people, financial analysts, and, like, citizens kind of, however fake it is, it provides a sort of sense of security that somebody's thought this shit through. Um, So what Quateng did was the opposite of that. They, uh, and the market said, oh, wait, you want to do another huge chunk of borrowing uh, more money, which is no longer free, and you want to use it for tax cuts that even, like, we think are incredibly dumb and badly targeted and won't do anything, like, to help the actual position of the UK economy. Like, the even the Financial Times comment section in response to this budget was like, this is fucking stupid. I will make more I money. Think- I don't need this money. It, it got to that point, yeah. which is rare. I think we need to like really hammer home just how much the music has fucking stopped for like any sort of allusion to like trickle down economics. Yes, it's yeah. just it's completely over. Well, for some time, like there is a tension here 
which is, and the financial comment section guy said this, which is, what's the point of being privately wealthy if you're publicly impoverished, right? Yes. You know, none of them want to live in, like, their fucking Mad Max citadels in the middle of the wasteland. Like, they're, they're not quite that sociopathic, right? Unlike the ones at the very, very top. And so the way this kind of works is there is a tension where trickle-down economics is a lie. And it's a lie, it's it's a lie specifically to justify more money for us and fuck you, right? It's, it is like all economics is at, at one level or another, an excuse to pull the wool over your, your eyes and get you to go along with giving more money to the wealthy. But underlying this, the smart ones, who are usually, usually the ones who are plugged in financially, know that what makes countries wealthy is basically the infrastructure of a country, and basic things like, you know, having an educated populace that can do the jobs you want them yeah. to do. Yeah. Having roads that you can drive on, having drinkable drinking water, having healthcare so the population is fit enough to work, things like this. Exactly. And what's happening is we're now cutting so into the bone, we're so deep into it, that they're kind of going, hey, um, this is this is not a case of just giving us more money now. Now you're talking about destabilizing the entire grift that the, we, the long, we rest yeah, upon. Now you're th- with this stuff, and even though, like, look, forty-five billion on like a, a UK GDP of over two trillion is not that much, but it was a signal that's that that they loudly and publicly set to sent to the entire world saying we're just gonna fucking yolo this and our like weird libertarian ideas are correct uh no we don't have a report card on this but you don't need one um and we assume that you're gonna love this because you're just as insane a libertarian as we are and what specifically happened then is as james was just saying like the people who look at the long-term health and who want their money back on the long-term health of the uk economy by which we're talking then about guilts a guilt like can have a, has a lifespan of up to like thirty years. So if you have a shit ton of guilt, like a pension fund would, um, that's a problem for you because like, it you know it, if you're setting if if you t- turn the the dial of the UK to Mad Max, then suddenly something that's going to pay off in thirty years might not be as valuable as you thought yesterday because now the new government has signaled loudly that they are made of imbeciles and idiot fucker morons basically yeah basically why would you take a 30-year guilt if you're not convinced the uk is going to be around in 30 years yeah right? or, or if they're or, going to or, or, or unable to pay yeah or unable to pay or the inflation's gotten so high that you might as well like burn the money in the first place so like the markets essentially because they were already like generally hinky and a little bit spooked because of energy prices inflation rising the war in the ukraine all like the other stuff like they were already more on the lookout they're more jittery than they have been in like for a decade um also because the central banks have like stopped printing free money for everybody all the time so they're much more like looking out for reality if you will um and indeed right after the quarteng announcements reality sort of uh, 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 reasserted itself. Uh, two things happened. The value of the pound plummeted uh, against the dollar or the euro and pretty much every other uh, currency. That's mostly been recovered, but that's not what I want to talk about. The other thing was a huge rise in the interest rate you pay on gilts because the v- there's an inverse relationship between the interest rate that you get for holding one um, and the value of the gilt, which you can understand, right? The interest rate is basically the risk premium. It, the, a, a very high interest rate is something you get if you're worried that your bet's not going to pay off. Like, I think mm-hmm. a country, 
not a great example, but we'll use it for now. But like a country like Zimbabwe, we have to pay like 25, 30% interest per year on any like state bonds they issue because nobody fucking trusts the Zimbabwean government to actually pay off at the end of five years or 10 years and essentially not be around. Yeah, it's, it, it's like making it attractive enough. You might, you're looking at this going, well, I'm not convinced Zimbabwe, say, is going to be around. And I actually don't think that's fair to, to say Zimbabwe. Let's um let's talk about, say, Greece during the Euro sure, crisis, yeah. right? Because that's a historical event. Let's say, um I'm not sure Greece is actually going to be solvent and part of the Euro and able to repay me. But, but they're offering 20%. So maybe I take a punt on it anyway. And if it turns out, okay, I'm doing great. That's that's literally why they crank the interest rate is to make investors go well. I'll I'll take a gamble yeah. essentially, right? That's, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. The higher the interest rate, the more the financial markets are worried about you f- fucking it up completely, uh, which is an inverse to the value because if like uh, U.S. Treasuries and and guilds up to up until like a week ago were like considered incredibly safe. So if financial markets overall are super fucking spooked. They say, all right, well, we might not get enough, we might not get the same amount of money as we would get in like UK mortgages or, or like, I don't know, anything else like sh- shares of Facebook because we see Meta as fucking stupid, for example. All right, I'll take my money and I'll buy guilts with it. They may not pay out as well as like shares in, in Meta do, but they are safe as houses. So like, there's an inverse relationship. If the price of the guilt is super high, it means the risk is low. And if the risk is high, the price of the guilt itself is is low. So it's it's an inverse relationship. So, And uh, just, to, just as a little interjection, this is literally socializing the losses and privatizing the profits at work when you really drill down into it. Yeah. Um, it's basically saying the state will underwrite you when times are risky. Uh, except, well, I mean... That doesn't work if you're worried the state might not actually be able to underwrite you. I, I'd kind of, I'd put it like this: like, you know, for years I've been saying, ah, yes, trickle down. We'll just, we'll just give tax cuts to the top, and it'll trickle down. And don't worry, we can keep doing this indefinitely, and like God will sort it out. And they've all been laughing and winking at each other. And this has been going and going and going and going. And now Quasi Cartains come in and it's like, yes, let's uh, cut the throat of the poor. And, like, God will make it all okay. Yeah. And suddenly a bunch of people have kind of put their drinks down and looked at quasi Cotain and went, wait, you're you serious? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they panicked. Yeah, pr- pretty much. But I have to say, and this is, we're going to get back to the whole, to the thing, but the pension funds and the liability-driven investment now. A big important thing overall, overall, a rise in guilt interest rates is super good for pension funds because they hold massive piles and piles and piles and piles and piles of these fucking things. And if the interest rates goes up, they get more every month. So on the long run, a high interest rate is super good if you hold giant piles of guilts. That's like it. And the UK sees it, it keeps going, like keeps being a going concern that will actually meet the payments on the guilts that you hold. But we're going to assume that that's the case. We're going to be optimistic. It's not like us. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, not, David's not here though. I mean, <laughs> uh, overall, on the long run, like stretched out over the long term, UK pension funds right now, because of the rising guilts, are probably better covered now than they have been for like the last decade. Because all the stuff they used to hold that had like they had to hold but brought now returns is still stuff they have to hold, but now it brings like in like really good returns. So like overall. On the long term, pension funds benefit immensely from this type of movement, from high interest rates on guilts. But on the short term, and now we're sort of, this is where we're kicking the chair again. Uh, we're dunking in water and we're going 
back another stage. Um, on the short term, what happened is essentially because the guild markets moved so fast, um, they essentially created sort of heart attack in the uh, liability-driven investment schemes. And essentially, they unbalanced that care very careful seesaw between safe assets and riskier stuff that I was talking about earlier. So in essence, what happened when Quasi Quateng announced this, this fiscal event, not a budget, it spooked the markets very, very badly. And that created like a, a, a tilt in the seesaw that was like several several times bigger than anybody had ever thought would be possible like the the rise in the in the yields of the guilds was so high it was like a once in a lifetime event like it, it it had been seen that kind of movement had not been seen for like 80 years so like it was a huge and like nigh immediate spike on uh, right after the announcement and like that really uh, that set off sort of a chain reaction inside the very carefully balanced uh, seesaw that this LDI system uh, depends on. And what happened sort of inside the engine, I'm going to try to be a little bit superficial because otherwise I, it's very hard to explain it and we're, we're going to get lost in the weeds. But essentially, because one end of the seesaw, the guilds like shot up way quicker than anybody had else had ever expected. It meant that the other side of the seesaw with the slightly riskier investments also went down very quickly because these things are always supposed to be in balance and that's how the, 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 the contracts are constructed. And because of the imbalance that that went on on the other side, so that if you remember, that's the slightly riskier stuff like mortgages, mortgages, uh, corporate debt, all that stuff. It meant that the people insuring that side of it, like the, 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 that, that, yeah. So it, that meant that the people that were insuring the, the flip side, so that they were saying, okay, we will provide you with security against a giant drop on the, on the slightly riskier side of the seesaw, went back to the pension funds and said, look, there is now so much movement. The money that you gave us in the envelope, the sort of, cover the spread between between what you owe like the, the the collateral we no longer have enough collateral to believe that you are going to come good if this if this thing keeps going as sideways as you were uh, as it currently so is quasi quasi's done a such a big shit that there's been a run on mops to clear them all up pretty much yeah so what they said they went back to the pension funds and they said look if you want to keep all your side bets and everything if you want to keep this engine running so the bets and the side bets or like the whole very carefully balanced ecosystem that kept the seesaw saw nigh on in exactly the middle where it was supposed to be you are going to have to put up more money because otherwise we're going to take like we're going to take our hands off the wheel and we will no longer like stand guarantee for all the other shit you've been doing. So like you have to give us more money now. And that meant that like the pension funds freaked out because they don't, they didn't have enough like hard cash literally on hand to hand, hand over to the investment banks to say, all right, look, don't worry. We're still good for it. Here's more cash that we can put up straight away. So in trying to solve that immediate problem, uh, is they needed cold hard cash. They needed literally uh, liquidity. So they needed literally like uh, numbers on a on a big spreadsheet and like a bank transfer from a big pension fund to Goldman Sachs or BlackRock or, or Credit Suisse or you know pick a big investment bank. Uh, but they said, yeah, but you have to pay us because otherwise we're going to take our hands off the seesaw and then the whole thing like falls completely out of whack and that would be very bad in all cap letters. 
Um, but then, so this, uh, this, it is at this point, I don't know if you've, if you're, if you're a very clever listener, you might've spotted it already. Uh, you get what is known as a doom loop because is that good? Yes. Doom loops are, are, are often very good because what would happen is pension funds need to sell guilds immediately to cover the margin calls from counterparties who say, no, we don't want anything else but cold hard cash. But one day, once they started selling guilds in order to, you know, to, to, to cover their margin calls, there were more guilds on the market, which caused the guild yield to rise even further and further. And when that started going, the seesaw tipped even more out of, out of kilter, which meant that the investment banks on the other side said, well, yeah, you've given us some cash, but now the, the seesaw is even more out of kilter. So you're going to have to give us more cash because now we don't trust you anymore. To which then there's also a major there's also a major problem happened here in that the guilt market basically crashed and people stopped buying them because yes. the value of them was devaluing so quickly that they couldn't sell them and because Usually they'd be able to sell yeah, the guilts but yeah. they couldn't sell them very briefly it was also very difficult to find people to buy them uh that's definitely that also happened but like the main problem was like apart from that people didn't want to buy them the main problem really was that like Pension funds had to sell guilds in order to get the cash to pay to like meet the margin calls. But in order to do that, they drove the yield further up, which caused more margin calls, which caused more sell-off, which caused more margin calls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And had that kept going, that's a that's a doom loop, right? That that doesn't stop because every time you sell more assets to meet the margin calls, you make the underlying condition worse, which causes you to have to which causes more margin calls, which causes more asset sales, which et cetera, which causes, which causes, which causes, essentially until there is a gigantic like black hole sucking void that starts to emerge within the financial markets and specifically within these defined benefit pension funds, which remember is a 1.5 trillion pound market, which is too big for the UK government or probably even the UK central bank to like stand guarantee for had the whole thing really started going on the slide and, and, and gone kablooey. Yeah. And it, it's also worth understanding that when I when I say they, they couldn't sell their, their, their guilts, essentially, that the, the, the guilt market crashed, um, the thing to understand is as they had to, like, basically they had to sell the guilts for lower and lower, and then there's a cutoff point where they, they, they can't sell the guilts below this point or their, their seesaw just completely collapses because suddenly their assets just won't be able to pay out what they projected they needed. They, they're bankrupt, essentially. Yeah. And so in practice, what happened is they sold up to a certain point, they all stopped selling guilts on the, the guilt market because they couldn't go beyond that point, and they started trying to offload other assets as best they could, which then was potentially threatening a run in other areas of the economy. Yeah. Yeah. And so the whole thing was t just turbo-fucked pretty much instantly. And the headlines that we got after the fact said it was about, what was it, two hours away from total meltdown and annihilation? I mean, it depends. Like, for one, I should be really careful in saying that, like, while this doom loop that I was just talking about, had, had it continued unabated infinitely, it would have caused probably a total meltdown in pension funds from there into the wider economy but like it was a, a problem it was a is and was a, a liquidity problem it was a problem of cold hard cash on hand because if you remember like on the long term the interest rate on guilt going up is incredibly good for pensions funds so they weren't they weren't going bankrupt in a like a literal like lehman brothers kind of way like they had drawn down and like 
you know, they hadn't opened up their wallet and there were like two comical flies coming out of it. It was just a, they'd run out of cold hard cash. So that's, that's, I really want to make that as an incredibly important distinction between liquidity and being actually a, a going concern. What had, what had happened is they were running out of cash and that had caused the, essentially the, the doom loop to start, which had it not been stopped, could have in the end maybe caused collapses of pension funds, but it's not like had this gone on for another two hours, the pension funds would have gone bankrupt because they had enough assets. They had a huge amount of assets still. So it's just, it's, it's, it's not quite like the bad things would have happened, but it's not like had the Bank of England not stepped in on Friday, the pension funds would have gone bankrupt. That could have happened, but not like for a long time to come. So I, I want to just make sure that like, we love doom on this podcast and I love talking about financial doom, but this is, there is an important distinction to make between the two here. I'm not convinced, but we'll have that discussion another time, I think. Um, anyway, so Rob, what did the Bank of England do to make everything okay? Yeah, essentially what happened was a, a two things happened. There was a quite a screeching policy uh, reversal from the Tories within like a foreseeable amount of time it took a couple of days but you know they said oh fuck you know like we we can't we can't do this and then uh you know they promised to reverse some of the tax cuts they promised that they would actually have like the civil service produce some graphs and ba balances and scoring of the whole thing um they put in some people in the treasury that had more trust from the financial markets than others so that was round one but the big one that happened on the immediate term is that the bank of england stepped in and said right contrary to everything that we've been announcing in the last couple of months in terms of we are not going to buy any more bonds uh, we're going to we're not going to do any more quantitative easing we're actually going to like hike up the interest rates and start selling off our assets contrary to everything we've just said in the last two months we're going to do the exact reverse and we are going to have to buy uh, up to 65 billion worth of these long-term gilts essentially because that would stabilize Disregard the market. what I was it, saying previously. I actually mean the opposite of that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so like what, what the, the Bank of England said, look, we, we are going to magic... Is it good when a bank does that? <laughs> the Bank of England Fucking said... state bank. We are going to magic up 65 billion worth of pounds with which we can buy these gilts uh, from uh, um, pension funds and that will stop the doom loop because we will make... 65 billion of extra cash available with which the pension funds can meet these margin calls. Don't worry about it. It's not just the amount of money that they made available. It's essentially they said to the financial markets, it, there's no point in doing more margin calls because we, the Bank of England, the people with the money printers, will be around to backstop this shit. So back off. And that's literally what happened pretty much immediately. Yeah, like essentially they identified the, the problem in the guilt market that was going to cripple the pension funds and they turned around and said, right, pension funds, since you're driving this, we'll cash you out early. Yes. We'll cash you out early. We'll, we'll print money now and we will give you your bonds before their yield date. And that will allow you to meet your margin calls. That means that you are backed by us. Like, we've got you. We are making exception to our own rules. We are taking your liability into our structure. And the margin calls went, oh, well, I suppose if the Bank of England has got their back, then I don't need to worry about getting paid yeah. so I can stop doing my margin exactly. calls. Exactly. Now I have it. faith and trust again that the seesaw will continue to operate, that I'm not going to be left holding the bag, and therefore everything is, is fine. There's also a certain amount of speculation that I've read this afternoon that it's not so much that the end problem wasn't 
actually in the pension funds, but rather in the people who had taken the opposite bet in all these seesaw trades and that they were going to go. Yay. That's so you know how I, I, you know, I said I wanted to drop a pin area about corporate debt. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a theory. My theory is that the other side of a seesaw for the pension funds, when when basically when gilts went to zero, the pension funds like where can we put money? And the corp, there's a massive corporate debt bubble right now, and so what I think essentially happened is the pension funds all piled into corporate debt, which I think is fairly well established based on what we've been able to see. But it's all like it's all murky; it's not traded publicly necessarily, so we don't get to see it. Mm. And I think the real danger here was when they realized that if we cash in these gilts at higher and higher prices that you know we're gonna like we're gonna be bankrupt so our only other choice is to offload some of our other assets and so they started co- selling corporate debt and i think the untold story of this is there was the beginnings of i don't think it was actually really getting going but the beginnings of a potential run on corporate debt and the popping of the corporate debt bubble on the other side of the seesaw that's what i think the ghost story of this is the thing that would have been the real danger had it been allowed to keep going yeah i mean it's, it's so it, it, it's either that or like that um, the, the the counterparties to like all these derivatives, like the secondary bets that kept the seesaw, like the poles of the seesaw themselves in balance, would have like not been able to handle the strain. And those are mainly big investment banks. So it could have been mm. like it could have been corporate debt. It could have been like problems in the banking sector itself. Or it could have been a combination of both. Like we don't really know this yet. And I don't know if we'll ever know, like unless what's happening again today keeps going. Uh, like then we may find out yeah. when things go like kablooey again. Uh, so this is I want to start moving towards wrapping this up uh, because anyway, sort of like back to today, um, because it turns out that last Friday's uh, 65 billion by the Bank of England may not have like been enough to like fully stop no. the doom loop and like the sell off of pension funds to meet the margin calls because speaking today and it's the 11th of uh, October Tuesday the 11th of October like the interest rates on gilts are rising once again and they are about halfway to where they were last Friday when the Bank of England had to step in so that does suggest that right now at least and again it's Tuesday I genuinely don't know what the fuck's going to be the case in in two days it could have gotten worse it could have gotten like resolved who the fuck knows like as of as of this recording at least the interest rates are still rising which does suggest that huge volumes of gilts are still being sold either by pension funds or by now other actors who don't really trust gilts anymore after what has happened in the last couple of days so we don't really know yet like yeah my kind of read like you know um my my reading of this is that it's not the pension funds like that you've got to remember the thing that initially caused the movement of the gilts was not the pension funds themselves they just had to come in on it because it started upsetting their seesaw essentially um i think the pension funds look like they've more or less stopped they might start up again if this keeps rising um i would suspect it's institutional actors basically going oh, uk bond market isn't steady and predictable anymore so we want to divest ourselves of it and now that's starting to creep in and i don't know how you stop that I, honestly. I, I don't know either but again this is at this point in the recording once we start talking about that we are sort of entering in the realm of like wild speculation and i'm gonna try not per- perish the thought that we do that on podcasting <laughs> no but I'm, I'm gonna try not to do this because i don't uh, at least me personally i don't feel really equipped to like give 
financial answers at this level of complexity because I... I... But it, it, to clarify, this is not financial advice. Do not make your investing decisions based on our trash talk on this shitpost podcast. I, yeah, but I find it, like, right now, I find it, like, everything is so sort of weird and janky and, like, nervous that, like you know whether or not it's more pension funds or it's something else or you know it could also be that by the time this comes out hopefully on on thursday that like everything will have mostly settled down again because as is not entirely i think out of the question at this moment the tories have entirely reversed themselves on this 45 billion package worth of tax cuts like that's like the markets are now starting to literally price in like either a collapse of the tory government or like a total reversal uh, hmm. all essentially at this point of recording all options are possible and given that this is the uk it will probably be the the dumbest one but like i don't even know what the dumbest call is at the moment like whether or not it's like total meltdown or something else like i i genuinely don't know at this point so that's i i i can i can answer that for you rob is great I guarantee you the thing that causes the next financial collapse will have nothing to do with any of this. It'll be something that none of us have seen coming whatsoever. It'll be like there is an explosion in like Deutsche Bank or something that's completely disconnected from all of this. You know, that's the dumbest outcome. We spend all the time looking at this and talking about this and then it's something else that like takes us all out. Exactly. But on the other hand, like none of us, uh, me, me included, have really like heard much if anything about like liability driven investment and how defined benefit pensions like were integrated into the uk economy and like how they were structured against the value of the guilt until like literally a couple of days ago so i spent a lot of time reading about this so like for me like the big lesson from this whether or not it's this thing that like creates the explosions or whether or not it's something else is like um it could like it could just be like it could be anything because the 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 fragilities are such in the system now like capitalism is heading towards another major crisis event because a we didn't resolve no, that can't be right. really 2008 shit we just papered it over with insane amounts of money and be like i've heard though rob i've heard <laughs> though that capitalism is the most efficient way of distributing resources so all these all these collapses you keep going on about i'm assured are fine yeah uh, they, they they are actually they they are actually a really creative way of destroying things, so you can build new and cooler <laughs> things over the top of them. So like, I I mean to me like that's kind of where I want to leave it, and I'll leave other people to say whatever they want after this. Is like, reality has like after about a decade of like financial markets being completely insane and that's sort of where we started the episode with like nfts and metaverses and all the horseshit that you get when like there's infinite free money around like that era seems to have gone now and some form of reality is once again asserting itself and how that's gonna like the collision between those two is probably like unmanageable certainly not in in the current institutional framework but they are going to do their very level best to manage it anyway. And fuck knows if they will succeed. Yeah, about an, about a decade ago, they fired everyone out of a cannon and soaring up through the air. They're like, yes, yes, we're we climbing can fly. higher and higher. Yeah, we can fly. We'll escape the atmosphere. And uh, now it's like, oh, we seem to be leveling out. Yeah. Um, hey, hey, hang on a minute. Does that ground look like it's getting bigger to you? Um, and that's where we're kind of at. So, yeah. I don't know, unless, Jamie, Alistair, you guys, what what do you make of all of this, having sat and listened to me and Rob talking horseshit for the better part of an hour and a half? 
Money's not real. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> for the sake of Rob's nervousness, I guess we'll 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 end it there uh, before we contemplate an impossible fractal future. Um, should we should we do plugs? David usually does plugs, so I feel like we ought to. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, you can follow us at PraxisCast. Uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon, uh, where we've just released another genuinely quite good article read, uh, I think. Uh, a very beef-free article read. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash PraxisCast. Uh, we also have great merchandise and t-shirts uh, at JB. Where is that again? Uh, PraxisCast.tmail.com, I believe. Yes. Yep. And then there's also the streams, which are they still ongoing on Thursdays, I think? Yes. Uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays, yeah. yeah. Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays is uh, Vampire Fun Time. Thursdays is alternating Terraria, well, well me torturing Jamie with Terraria, and every other Thursday is um, me, well, collectively left Twitter torturing Jamie with Stellaris, which are, <laughs> which Jamie has been subjugated uh, in his solar system by another empire, so that's been very fun for him. Yeah. I literally, literally been getting messages from Jamie going, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm stuck under the thumb of an empire and can't actually do anything other than listen to Sinan and all the rest of them having fun. So, uh, yeah, no, tune in for that. Enjoy. Yeah. I mean, what happens when you put, like, two online people and podcasters uh, in, in a closed-off space is that they all become colonialists at the end of the year. That's uh, that's my lesson from all of this. So, oh, to be to be clear, to be clear, I, I wasn't subjugated by anyone else playing the fucking game. It just some one of the other players like made their empire the fucking like lost colony of a former like superpower, and the game put me next to that superpower, and like they just fucked my shit up because they had like a a huge advantage at the start. Yeah, so, so if yeah, it was just if... it was just bad fucking luck that I got to <laughs> sit and do nothing. For the whole stream. Pray, pray for Jamie's Cuban revolution, basically, is what we're saying. Um, and on that note, I think I think we'll end it here. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening, and catch you all later. All right. See you. All right. Thanks, Bye. Everyone. Cheers. Bye.